Guardian Unlimited. Questions to the Prime Minister. Christine Russell. Question one, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, so this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others in addition to my duties in the House. I will have further such meetings later today. Christine Russell. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that the humanitarian... That the humanitarian crisis in Darfur considers to be, continues to be of great concern. But does he also agree that the agreement that was brokered by the UN in Addis Ababa last Friday um, is the positive way forward and that we must do all we can to ensure that the government of the Sudan abides by this agreement? First of all, um, as my honourable friend rightly says, the uh, agreement uh, of the 17th of November last week um, is obviously the right way forward for Sudan. Uh, it would involve a, a cessation of violence, but most importantly would involve the force of the Africa Union and the United Nations coming into the Sudan. But it's important we keep up the pressure on the government of Sudan. I pay tribute, incidentally, to the work of my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for International Development, who's done a superb job on this. But uh, we will need to keep up the pressure on the Sudanese government. I will have an opportunity to speak to President Bashir later today. This is a very, very serious situation. It has been for some time. We have the prospect of a way forward, but we need to take it. David Cameron. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister has recently seen for himself the incredibly brave work that our troops are doing in Afghanistan. Anyone who's visited Helmand is immediately struck by the absolutely vital role that helicopters play. Is the Prime Minister convinced that all of our NATO partners are doing everything they can to maximise the number of helicopters in Afghanistan? And will he push this point as hard as he can at the NATO summit at Riga next week? Well, we certainly will in relation to any of the issues that, that our forces raise with us on the ground. Uh, the work that we're doing in Helmand, as he rightly says, is of tremendous importance. And actually, I found, I found both our, our troops in the Helmand province, but also those who are working on reconstruction in very good heart at the prospects of success of what they're doing. But it is true that at next week's NATO summit, we have to make sure that not just the United Kingdom, but all our NATO partners are doing their utmost to stabilize the situation in Afghanistan and give that government the prospect of success that it deserves and the Afghan people deserve. I agree with what the Prime Minister says about the morale of our troops, and also it's incredibly welcome that there are 37 countries from NATO represented in Afghanistan. But does he agree with me that there are still far too many restrictions on how those troops can operate, the so-called national caveats? Will he be pressing at Riga to have those caveats reduced so NATO isn't fighting with one arm tied behind its back? Well, we, we do raise the issue of the caveats the entire time. Um, but several countries, for, for reasons to do with their own politics, are reluctant to remove them. However, what we will be saying to those countries is that even if they retain some caveats on the deployment of their forces, particularly in a, in a fighting situation, that nonetheless there is much more that could be done, for example, to give support to reconstruction and development. And the truth is, I should say, that the British troops are doing a fantastic job there. As I saw myself the other day, they have troops of other countries working alongside them. The Americans and the Canadians, uh, in particular, who also have lost troops, sadly, um, in defense of the, the, the Afghan mission, they also are working extremely well with our forces there. But, of course, it's important that NATO recognizes that the credibility of NATO, not just the security of 
our world, the prospects for Afghanistan, but the credibility of NATO rests on us doing everything we can to help the people of Afghanistan in their search away from the Taliban and in favour of democracy. Can I turn to the issue raised by the Honourable Lady for Chester? In Darfur, over 200,000 people have been murdered and actually 2 million people, probably over 2 million people, have been driven out of their homes and are living in refugee camps. Anyone who goes to listen to their stories cannot be failed but to be horrified by what they see and what they hear. Is the Prime Minister aware that while six months ago all of Darfur was open to the aid agencies. Today, large parts of the area cannot be accessed. What's the government going to do to make sure that the aid can get through to the people who need it? Well, the only solution is to make sure that the, the agreement that was brokered uh, last week in Addis Ababa is implemented. And what that involves essentially is this. It involves a United Nations and African Union force of far greater numbers, some, I think, 17,300 troops and 3,000 police. It involves the United Nations giving logistics support, and it involves the Sudanese government in having not just a ceasefire, but then re-engaging with the rebel forces. All of that has to be done. I think it is important also that we look at the prospect of a no-fly zone. I think that could play a part as well. But the difficulty that we face is very simple. It is clear that it is not... UK or American forces that can do this particular mission. Now that is clear because that is not just our will, it is the will of those African countries there as well. The absolute key is to get significantly larger numbers of troops on the ground, backed up with the proper logistics and support. Now that is what we will be working to do. And I welcome the fact that he went there, he's absolutely right. It is a terrible situation. But the only solution is the one we've put forward. And I think it's just worth emphasizing right from the outset on this issue, uh, the UK, along with the United States, along with other allies, has been at the forefront of attempts to try and get this situation resolved. The Prime Minister mentions the peacekeeping force, and he's absolutely right that unless it is hugely enlarged, the people in the camp simply won't leave in order to go back to their homes. Will he make sure that in the negotiations that are absolutely vital that the government doesn't give ground and the force is larger, has better logistics, is better equipped, and vitally has that link to the UN, without which it won't be able to do its job properly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that, that is important, and that's why... Uh, what Kofi Annan um, agreed last week with the Sudanese government is extremely important. And as I said, my right honourable friend, the Development Secretary, I think has been to um, Sudan now some six times. He's been immensely active on it. We have the outlines on a, of an agreement. The point is to get it implemented. And all I can say to him is that we will be working very, very closely with um, our allies, in particular the United States, to make sure that that is done. And the Sudanese government should recognize that if they don't seize this opportunity, it will be raised in the United Nations. The pressure will grow for strong measures against the Sudanese government. And I urge the African Union nations to get behind this concept now of a hybrid force with the African Union and the United Nations. It's the only prospect we have of succeeding, and we have to seize it now. Clearly, in the long term, either aid or enlarging the force uh, that's there in, in um, Darfur is not going to do the trick. We need a political solution. But is the Prime Minister aware that the last town actually attacked by Sudanese forces, Birmaza, was actually the place where the ceasefire talks with the rebel groups were going to take place? Doesn't he believe that that shows a complete lack of commitment to the peace process from the Sudanese government? What steps will he take to maximise the pressure on them and make sure that they see absolutely no alternative to stopping the killing and having a fundamental peace agreement in Darfur. Yeah, yeah. We will do um, 
we will do what we've been doing up to now, which is to make sure that insofar as, as it is possible, we get the broadest international support and agreement, um, not just to the hybrid force, but also to make sure that we get the Sudanese government to re-engage with those rebel groups that are still fighting, because as he knows, under the Darfur peace plan, some of the rebel groups accepted it, some did not. Some are continuing to fight. And the problem arises when the government of Sudan then uses the militia in order to try and defeat those rebel groups. So it isn't just a question of the African Union force going in. It is also a question of the Sudanese government calling the ceasefire and then re-engaging with the rebel groups. And I can assure you, we, we, we will do everything we can to make, to make that happen. I mean, this is an issue, I should say, that at every single occasion, whether it's in the European Union, the United Nations, in our relations with other Africa countries, we raise. Um, I had a meeting with the Vice President of Sudan just a short time ago. As I said earlier, I'll be speaking to the President of Sudan later today. I mean, in the end, the solution has to lie there. But I think it is very clear from the work that we have done and from the statements from the United States of America that if the government of Sudan do not seize this opportunity, then we will have to look at tougher measures to take against them. Government that has a proud record for compensating our minors, their widows and their families from the suffering that the boys endured in Britain's pits. The one area that is not resolved is the compensation for surface workers. There are some in the DTI scheming to prevent surface workers from actually pursuing their claims. Will my right honourable friend agree to meet with colleagues and myself to discuss this so we can prevent a scar growing on the reputation of his government and a shame descending on these labour benches if we allow this injustice? Well, first of all, I know, as indeed my honourable friend implied, we have paid out over £3 billion worth of compensation. There are literally thousands upon thousands of miners who, who have had compensation which I don't believe they would ever have got except under a Labour government. Um, however, he's also right in raising the issue of the surface workers. We are looking at this very closely and I can assure him the DTI will, will cooperate fully um, with those that are running the scheme in order to see what can be done and I'm perfectly happy to meet him about the issue. Sir Mingus Campbell. Can the Prime Minister confirm that the white paper on nuclear deterrence and the future of Trident will definitely be published before the end of the year? Uh, yes, we will publish it before the end of the year. Can he also confirm that the House of Commons... Can he also confirm that the House of Commons will be given the opportunity to vote on the options available and not just the principle? On an issue of such significance as the future of Trident, shouldn't the whole House of Commons determine Britain's future? Yeah. Sure that there will be. I know this is something my right honourable friend is discussing in the usual channels, but I'm sure there will be a, an opportunity to vote on the issue. Of course, there should be. Uh, but in the end, but in the end, I suspect this is going to be an issue, not so much of process, um, but of where we stand on the particular issue. And uh, I believe that it is important that we maintain the independent nuclear deterrent. I don't know whether the right honourable gentleman has got a position on it or not. Paddy Tipping. Local government workers are today lobbying Parliament about their pension scheme. Will the uh, Prime Minister use his influence to try and secure a settlement that's broadly in agreement with the uh, agreements reached last October with other public sector workers? Some say that they support public servants, but isn't the way of showing support for public servants to make sure that their pensions are secure for the long term. First of all, um, I should say to my honourable friend that he, he's right in saying that the trade unions and, and local government employers have been working hard to reach agreement on this issue. 
um, and the Government will soon be in a position to consult on, on the new pension scheme for local government. This will be fully consistent with the agreement we reached um, some time ago, and the new pension scheme will reward local government workers with the benefits they deserve while ensuring the costs of this affair to employees, employers and taxpayers. And we certainly uh, will abide by the agreement that we entered into. It protects the uh, public service pensions at the same time as making sure that for new claimants we move to a, a different, more sustainable basis for the long term. Conway. Yeah. Yeah. Is the Prime Minister aware of the deep concern in the boroughs of London at yesterday's announcement by the Culture Secretary on the Olympic levy? Does he understand that the hard-pressed council taxpayers of boroughs like Bexley already have to term with the drunken sailor spending attitude of Mayor Livingstone, but now the untrammelled pressure that will come from the Olympic levy? Will he not look again at putting a cap on what that levy should be for London? We've already uh, outlined our proposals for funding the Olympics, but I have to say to him that I believe winning the Olympics was a fantastic thing for Britain, uh, not just for London, but for the whole of the country, and I think this country will benefit enormously from having the Olympics in 2012. Is the Prime Minister aware that this afternoon Cancer Research UK will be delivering a petition with a quarter of a million signatures on it? It asks the Government to build on the current NHS cancer plan and commit to updating it beyond 2010. Does he agree that it is absolutely vital, although cancer services have been transformed, to keep planning ahead, to keep up the momentum so that we can meet the cancer challenge that still lies ahead? Well, first of all, um, my honourable friend is right in saying that there's been tremendous progress over the past few years. Uh, when we came to office, just over 60 per cent of suspected cancer patients were seen within two weeks. It's now almost 100 per cent. That is a big change. There are thousands of lives being saved every year now as a result of improvements in cancer treatment. But she's also right in indicating we are, I think, six years through the 10-year cancer plan. There are another four years to go. And I know that the head of the cancer services within the NHS is looking carefully at whether we need to publish an update of that plan. But it's right to say, I think, that cancer services, like cardiac care, is an area where there have been massive improvements as a result of the investment and reform in the past few years. The Prime Minister will be aware that Airbus is a great British and European success story, employing thousands of my constituents and those of other honourable members. But the Prime Minister will know that the sale of the remaining British shares in Airbus has cast a shadow over the long-term future of these high-quality manufacturing jobs. Can he tell us what the British Government is doing actively to ensure that these excellent and vital jobs have a long-term future? Well, what we are doing, of course, is, is making a huge investment in, in Airbus, and actually that has paid off for the taxpayers since Airbus has been a tremendous um, success story. And he's absolutely right. There are thousands of people um, who are employed on the Airbus programme doing fantastic work. These are high-skilled jobs as well. I can assure him that we will continue to be fully committed uh, to the Airbus programme. Indeed, I think I'm right in saying that it's got orders for over 2,000 aircraft that represent some uh, five years' work or more. So this is a, uh, an investment we feel very strongly about, and we will continue to do all we can to support Airbus. Cool. Clapham. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister may be aware that over the last decade, there has been some 14,500 teenagers who have been seriously injured at work, and shockingly, 66 of those died. Will he therefore join with me in congratulating the Institute of Occupational Safety and Health and the Health and Safety Executive in preparing a workplace hazards course for year 10 pupils 
and will he ask the uh, Education Secretary if he will consider making that course mandatory for all, all the curriculum? Well, I'm sure my uh, right honourable friend will listen carefully to, to what my honourable friend has just said. Um, I think uh, the Health and Safety Executive and the Institute are absolutely right to bring forward a plan, and I think it will help um, make young people more aware of the potential hazards at the workplace, although as a result of the legislation passed over many, many years, I'm pleased to say we have a, an immensely improved record on health and safety at the workplace in this country. Tim Lawton. Yeah. Is, the, is the Prime Minister aware that consultants at Worthing Hospital, threatened with downgrading because it's in a conservative area, have been told they must not see? Have been told they must not see their patients before eight weeks, even if their patients' conditions deteriorate. Those consultants believe it's unethical for them not to continue to see their patients and don't want to spend their time sitting around twiddling their stethoscopes, even if it means the hospital doesn't get paid. Who is acting in the best interests of those patients, the consultants or the failed accountants at the Strategic Health Authority sorting out the financial mess in the NHS? Um, first of all, of course, the consultants in the Honourable Gentleman's constituency and elsewhere should do what is right and what is ethical for their, for, for their patients. And the decisions are taken, obviously, by the local primary care trust and strategic health authority. But let me just point out two things to the Honourable Gentleman. That as a result of the investment we have made in the National Health Service, and he opposed, there are 4,500 more nurses in his strategic health zone and almost 600 more consultants. And let me just tell the Conservative, let me just tell the Conservative Party something. When they talk about the inequality or inadequacy of the health funding and its disbursement, let me tell them that their policy, their policy is actually to ensure NHS resource allocation reflects more accurately the fact that most NHS resources should be given to those areas where the disease burden is highest. Right. That is his policy. If we did that, if we did what his policy is, we'd have to reduce health service spending in his area. Yes, I'm afraid he's wrong and I'm right. And what's more, as a result of this government's policy, we've increased investment in his area by over 30%. That's what a Labour government does after the Tories' years of neglect. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Um, this August, I visited a hostel in Wakefield for women fleeing domestic violence. There I met a woman who had had to leave her own home because of violence for her, from her own son. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that we need to do more to help people meet the challenges of parenting out of control children, whether they're tackling toddler tantrums or teenage tearaways? I entirely agree with what my honourable friend says, and I think the, uh, the announcement of additional funding and the help for parents yesterday is a very important part of ensuring that people get the help that they need and that particularly where there are children that may be going off the rails and getting into difficulty, the parents get the support and the intervention in order to help them. And she's absolutely right, this is not about telling people how to run their families or interfering with their family life, but it is about supporting people who are in need. That helps the families, it helps the children, and it also helps communities where they're facing antisocial behaviour from children who aren't behaving. Salmon. Will, the, uh, will the Prime Minister undertake to stay out of the clutches of the Metropolitan Police 
until the end of the week because we are looking forward enormously to his visit to the Scottish Labour Conference on Friday. Is he aware that every time he attacks the SNP, support for Scottish independence soars to new, unprecedented levels? And will he promise to launch another furious assault on us this coming Friday? Uh, yes, I will. Yeah. Let me tell him why. Because by ripping Scotland out of the United Kingdom, we would damage the Scottish economy, we would damage living standards in Scotland, we damage the health service and education, and the reason why he's not able to have any positive proposals for Scotland is because the only policy he has has been rejected twice before and will be rejected a third time. Has my right honourable friend found uh, time to read an article by Polly Toynbee in yesterday's Guardian <laughs> saying that uh, a proposal by the NHS to move outpatient facilities into a brand new building yet to be opened and to build a brand new local care hospital in my constituency is being cynically portrayed as a hospital closure by Wandsworth Council? Does he agree with the honourable member for Tunbridge Wells? that they would do better to take their social policy advice from Polly Toynbee. Yeah. Um, right. Uh, she's not always been fully in accordance uh, with, with our policy, but I have to say to my honourable friend that, of course, he's absolutely right in saying that these changes are necessary. And as for those who would go on about the need to tackle poverty in this country, some of us remember when under the last Conservative government, child poverty increased absolutely. year on year on year, where there were three million unemployed. As a result of the policies of this government, we've taken 700,000 children out of poverty. We've taken two and a half million pensioners out of acute hardship. The New Deal has given us 1.6 million people off benefit and into work. Every single bit of it opposed by the party opposite. Mark Lancaster. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. <clears throat> Last week, Milton Keynes Hospital announced the closure of the surgical assessment unit with a loss of some 23 beds, the first of some 18 million cuts that need to be found by March. Can the Prime Minister simply explain to my constituents why, at a time when this government is forcing Milton Keynes to expand, it's forcing our health service to contract? Yeah. When he talks about the health service contracting overall, it simply is not right to give the example that he gives without putting the other side of the picture. Because it is also true that we've given a £130 million funded scheme to concentrate all clinical services on one side. We've given a new angiographic treatment unit. We've given a new GP practice. We've given 5,500 more nurses in this area and almost 800 more consultants. And yes, in any health service, there will be changes. There should be changes, as the changing pattern of health care demands it. But what we have done in this country over the past few years is we have increased the numbers of people working in the health service. We've cut the waiting times and waiting lists dramatically. Yes, we have. We've got the largest hospital building programme ever underway. And the fact is, his party, having first of all opposed the money in the health service, are now opposing the reform. And that is why, whatever campaign he runs, when people come to look at which party really cares about the health service, they'll care about, they'll realise the party that cares is the party that invests in it and is prepared to take the difficult challenges seriously to make it fit for the 21st century. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. 
Mr Speaker, my right honourable friend had the chance to hear directly from Hackney residents when he visited my constituency earlier this year how much they welcome the government investment in regeneration, housing and education. We had a second City Academy open just this year and our first City Academy, Mossbourne, received an outstanding Ofsted report only last month. Will my right honourable friend, Mr Speaker, reassure my constituents that this might, they will continue to receive this level of investment, particularly in education and the much-needed affordable family housing we need in First of all, I think uh, my honourable friend is, is right in saying that, that Hackney um, is a borough that has undergone huge change in the last few years. Um, when we look at, uh, I used to live in one part of Hackney, I remember opposite was the Holly Street housing estate that has been changed significantly over the past few years. But she's particularly right in drawing attention to the success of the City Academy programme, and Mossbourne is a very good example of that, and it is literally transforming educational opportunities for some of the poorest children in one of the poorest boroughs in the country. And that's why, again, what we have to continue is the money going in accompanied by the reform. Sir Nicholas Winterton. The Prime Minister is well aware that our armed forces in Helmand province in Afghanistan are involved in a desperately dangerous mission with their lives on the line every hour of every day. Apparently, Brigadier Lorimer, who takes uh, command of British forces next spring, has indicated that he needs or will need more soldiers, uh, more warrior uh, armoured vehicles, tanks, artillery pieces and helicopters. Will the Prime Minister honour the commitment that he gave to the people of this country in a television interview that whatever the army wants to have a successful outcome to their mission, they will get it? Yeah. Yes, of course I will honour that. And what we do the entire time is keep under review what we need uh, in Helmand province and elsewhere. And um, I can absolutely assure him, I am conscious of the responsibility to our forces out there who are doing immensely difficult work in very, very challenging circumstances. So, of course, we will listen carefully to any requests that are made to us. Let me also just point out um, that the value of the work they are doing there is quite extraordinary. And as a result, uh, I mean, I met the uh, governor of the, um, Helmand province when I was there, and the work that they're doing, not just in terms of fighting the Taliban, but also in terms of reconstruction and development is quite remarkable. And there is a, a, a paradigm that can help us succeed in Afghanistan, um, which is to do with marrying together those elements of security and force along with those of reconstruction and development. And I can assure him, not merely in relation to our armed forces, but also in relation to boosting the development effort, we will do whatever is necessary to succeed. You may uh, be aware of that uh, madrasas, what they call them, so-called religious schools in Pakistan, are actually centers for training al-Qaeda terrorists. May I ask my right honorable friend that during his uh, meeting with the Prime Minister, the President of Pakistan, could he persuade him to close down these madrasas, which are actually funded by supporters of al-Qaeda in the Middle East? I, of course, um, as, as my honourable friend would expect, raised these issues both with President Musharraf and with uh, Prime Minister Aziz. And the money that we are giving, the additional money that we are giving to, uh, to Pakistan over the next 
few years because we are doubling our aid. Some of that will go precisely to supporting education, which helps deal with some of the causes of extremism in some of the madrasas. It's important, however, as the President all madrasas are in the same situation, but it's important that those that are potential breeding grounds for terrorism are, are dealt with. And I thought um, one of the most hopeful signs out of the visit to Pakistan was the sense that Pakistan itself had understood that anything that supported extremism in Pakistan or the Taliban in Afghanistan was not just a strategic threat to Afghanistan and the rest of the world, but specifically a threat to Pakistan itself. David Jones. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister may be aware of the budgetary deficit facing North Wales Police, uh, which has already led to redundancies of 120 civilian staff and, 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 a sta and a standstill in recruitment of uniformed officers for the last 15 months. Will he therefore be prepared to meet me and members of North Wales Police Authority to discuss this financial crisis? which is threatening the future of effective policing in North Wales. Again, all, all I can say to the Honourable Gentleman is that, as, as far as I understand it, there are actually more police officers, indeed record numbers of police officers, in Wales. And it is partly as a result of that and the measures we've introduced that crime is down. Now, of course, I know there will be concerns about any changes that are made, but I do have to say to him, if he looks back over the last few years, not just in crime, but in education and in health, there have been tremendous improvements in Wales, and the numbers of people working in those public services are at record levels. And Snellgrove. Will my right honourable friend urge retailers, the stock exchange, and those with huge city bonuses to contribute to the Fair Pack Fund? And will he use the new Consumer Bill to legislate so that this situation never arises again? As my honourable friend uh, will know, the Department of Trade and Industry has launched uh, an investigation to see what lessons can be learnt from, um, from Fair Pack's collapse and whether we need to change the law to give consumers additional protection and the um, government is going to work very closely with the administrators, with the, the family fund uh, people um, and with all of those who are trying to make sure that, that what is a very, very difficult situation, I totally sympathise with all those people that are caught up in it, um, that we do our best not merely to mitigate the effects of Fairpax collapse but learn the lessons and ensure that this does not happen in the future. Lenny. After the conflict ended, cluster bombs used in Lebanon by Israel have resulted in 159 casualties, including 23 deaths so far. In Geneva last week, why did the UK not support calls from the UN Secretary General, the ICRC, and 27 nations for urgent action? Will the Prime Minister push for a ban on these indiscriminate bombs in Oslo next year, or does he agree with his Armed Forces Minister, who strongly advocates their use? Yeah. We are working hard with, with our other allies in order to deal with this, but I hope he understands that in the end, the only way we are going to deal with this effectively is to make sure we deal with the root causes of conflict in the Middle East. That means Israel and Palestine, it means Lebanon, and it means making sure that across the Middle East, the, ex the cause of extremism is put on the back foot. And I believe it is important, I believe, well, I believe it is important always to make sure that we realise that the reason why this conflict is here is deep-rooted and if we want to deal with the situation we have to pull it up by the roots. Guardian Unlimited.